Hi friends, welcome to the Connected Families podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you are here today. Today, I have with me Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families. Lynn is also an occupational therapist, and we will be discussing a topic that is near to her heart, teaching our kids with purposeful play. And to have that conversation, we invited Joy Wenling. Joy is a certified Connected Families parent coach. You can find a lot more about our coaches and our coaching certification program in the show notes. But Joy is a play advocate and helps mamas disciple their kids through play. Her active Instagram page is created to play. So hi, Lynn. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, hi, Stacy. Good to be here. Excited <laughs> for this one. I know you are. This is a fun one. And hi, Joy. Welcome to our podcast. This is your first time. It is. Thank you so much for having me. We're glad to have you here, especially as you're one of our certified coaches. It's such a beautiful community and we're proud of you. Thank you. Well, Joy, let's dive in. I'm wondering, did your parents have some insight when they named you Joy? Did they know you were going to be a, a playful parenting parent coach? I don't think so. But my dad is so playful himself. And yeah. he was the one who chose my name. So I think that that play got passed on. <laughs> That's awesome. The blessings of a generation upon generation upon generation. Yeah. And, and our name meanings, sometimes they really mean something. And I love that. Well, Joy, tell us about your journey coming to play and parenting and play and discipleship and how that looks in your career now. I started in children's ministry just a couple years after college and then became a wife and then a mom. And as a mom, I started to feel really convicted about being full-time in a church. And so I wanted to come home. And so I opened a Christian daycare and preschool in my home. And it was through that experience that I started learning about how pivotal play is for kids and how they learn. And I just could not like fathom teaching kids without play because that was the way God designed their brains. And so I got back into ministry after that and started bringing play into it and just have found scripture that just really emphasizes the play and abundance that Christ has for us and for kids. It's like play is their language. Mm -hmm. And so if we talk to them in adult East, and they want their languages play, <laughs> there's a disconnect. So that's awesome. Yes. We're connecting with our kids. That's good. Well, Lynn, tell us why you're so passionate about this topic. And have you always been? No, I'm not a natural playful person. I, I sometimes joke that, you know, I wanted my kids to do something and be like, okay, do this now. And if you didn't get it, why weren't you taking notes? And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I was the list maker, but over the years, I've seen the importance of it. And just the, the way that I did engage with my kids playfully, creatively was really valuable. 
and some special memories for them. So I've also seen it be really helpful for kids that are really struggling when their parents are playful. So I've just kind of embraced this whole arena of the role of play and parenting in such a deeper way than I did even just a a year or two ago. Well, I really know almost nothing about this. And I, so I think that I'm a great one to kind of be moderating the conversation and asking questions. So I just want to start off with, is this an actual like certified therapy? I know you, Joy, you talked about it in the context of, you know, your background being in children's ministry and then a preschool and you're an OT, Lynn. So frame this for us parents who don't know what we're talking about. Well, there are certainly play therapists that are very much trained in how to help children work through trauma through play. I do have some examples in the online course that I'm working on that will look at using play to help kids express feelings that they don't have words for you know, to really be a therapist in that it takes a lot of training. A lot of times they'll use sand because that can create, you know, a landscape and then figures and characters. And they have lots of different, you know, puppets or dolls or whatever that have quickly lend themselves to imaginative expression that represents a really difficult experience a child had. So that's not what we're talking about here, but there Mm -hmm. is a super helpful therapy based around play. But I think joy comes more from just the fun discipleship. Let's talk about Jesus through toys. Did I get that right, Joy? Yes. And also just the way that we can connect with our kids through play. And I've found it to be especially now, you know, as I've been learning more about connected families in the framework, just the way that inviting kids to be cooperative works so much better through play because it's fun and they want to do it. And I have found that play can help us to like achieve our short-term goals without forgetting the long-term goals. And so keeping that connection with our kids, but also getting out the door with a cooperative, happy, laughing kid. Okay. I give workshops and parents are always raising their hand talking about how can I get out the door in the morning (laughs) and like, like without meltdowns and all that. So unpack that for us. What does that look like and how will play help? And it's not a guaranteed 100% of the time, but when we find ways that encourage our kids to want to join us and when we're having fun, they want to join us and then they want to cooperate and we're not fighting them and the power struggles lessen and like by making things just fun and enjoyable. I mean, depending can, on your kids. Can you kids- give us an example? What does that sound like? Like in the morning, I've got what, four-year-olds maybe, and we need to leave in 10 minutes and the shoes are not on. Right. So we have in our house, we have a song that is our checklist of what yeah. we have to do every morning. So it's hair and teeth and shoes and booking bag snacks would be nice. So that song is sung about. <laughs> Love it. 20 times every morning as we go through. And it's kind of like, 
you know, we ask them the question, have you done? And then we start singing. And so they'll, they'll go through their checklist and these are my preschoolers and doing the things they need to do. And then some mornings we're racing to the car to get into our rocket ship and we're buckling into, you know, our seat in the rocket ship. Or it could be, you know, we say, do you want to walk to the car backwards or do you want me to carry you and offering them fun choices. And it helps me also to like, let go of the stress when I'm enjoying it as well. Yeah, that's great. Throwing some other ideas in the hat of just, you know, kind of stomping your way out to the car as you sing something, because that sort of gets out that frustration, but you're still singing. And I may have shared on a podcast before that I used to lead our kids to bed sometimes stomping and singing, I hate bed. I hate bed. It makes me want to throw up. I wish that I could grow up. I hate bed, you know, and it just was like this empathetic, stomping, singing, goofy song that helped them to go. Another thing I've read about is just because I I got into this after this would have been helpful when my kids were young. If there's a particular child that's struggling, put them on your back and have them guide you. I I can't figure out how to get to, to the car. How do I get out to the car? You know, so just, just fun things like that. Awesome example. What does playful look like when the kids are older, like middle school or even high school? Is this mainly for small kids? Right now, that's my personal experiences, small kids. I do have one preteen. And so play with her looks a little bit differently. And some days I have to just let it go because she doesn't want to be playful, but keeping that lightness with me. And so I think a lot of playfulness is reading your child and knowing when to let go of getting them involved in the play, but keeping a lightness yourself. And so it doesn't always just have to be, you know, a silliness or being goofy we can bring stories in. And I think telling stories with middle and high schoolers of our own childhood and our own teen years can be a playful way to, you know, instead of lecturing, we tell them a story and it brings a lightness to the situation. Oh, I totally agree. Especially if you're laughing at your own foibles and your own mistakes, there's powerful messages of we don't have to get it perfect and we can learn from mistakes. And let me tell you about mine. You know, that's just that kind of a story is just infused with the aroma of grace, because if you have to get it perfect, you can't laugh while you're telling a, a, you know, a a self-deprecating goofy story. So, yeah, I did have one coaching client who had an older daughter who was just like, she was all done with mom's new new method of being playful with her younger siblings, because she's just thought, oh, it's just so dumb, mom, what are you doing? And then the mom was able to explain that she was helping the kids not be in such a stressed brain state so that they would do less screaming and outbursts. And all of a sudden the older daughter was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good idea, mom. (laughs) So they're a little older and they can understand the logic around the method and Mm -hmm. and lightheartedness. Well, I have to ask, right. I've got a lot of questions for both of you. And I know Lynn has some questions too, but 
what if I'm just not a lighthearted mom like that? Like I am the to-do list mom, even like Lynn described herself and whatever it is, I need help in the garden and we're going to plant this vegetable garden. Right. (laughs) And I need you to do carrots and I need, you know, and so it's hard to get to a lighthearted place because I'm so like driven by getting the task done. Joy, help me out. I think a lot of that can be just how you look at what you're doing. And so, you know, planting a garden would definitely be play for some people. Play doesn't have to look like a certain thing. And so like back to the teenagers or, you know, they could find running to be their play and that's okay. And finding ways to do these tasks together. Mm -hmm. And so if you can, if you need to get the garden done, finding ways to make it enjoyable. If you have somebody who enjoys competition, you know, seeing how fast you can (laughs) do your holes, or we're going to measure everybody's holes and we're going to see, you know, like who kept them the most spaced out. And uh, it depends on, you know, our personalities. We have different styles of play. And some people love competition. Some people like planning and directing, and that's playful for them. And so kind of looking at what intrigues your kids, what brings them joy and fun and kind of working that into the tasks. And it might take a little extra effort at first, but if you've realized one of your kids loves to plan, we'll give them, you know, a, a map of the garden and say, okay, how, what's the best way for this to work? And they Mm -hmm. might enjoy researching like what vegetables need to go where and how do we best keep the weeds out? And so it's not necessarily always, you know, running around and being goofy and telling jokes. It's Mm -hmm. really about finding what brings out that joy and that life in them. So it's somewhat about what you're saying is about learning styles as well. Yes. I also could see in in your garden example, Stacy, just the whole thing of imagination. It's like, which one of us do you think will plant the beanstalk that Jack is going to, you know, or, or just uh, who, how many bunnies are we going to feed with these carrots, you know, and what will they say when they come to our bunny feast? Yeah. So kind of what is the, the style that your child loves and how do you engage that? I'll be honest. I feel like I was able to be a lot more playful when the kids were younger and as they got older, I think my playfulness got less and I'm not sure why, or if that's even normal or what is with that, but I'm just observing myself in the middle of this conversation, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Lynn, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I think kids, uh, certainly younger kids are wired for silliness Mm -hmm. and the older they get, the more capacity they have for defiance. And it's easy to let that begin to erode the joy in the relationship. And I found some some ways when my kids were actually older was when I started to recognize, okay, I want to just grow this area of lighthearted playfulness. And we were on a ski trip one time and, you know, this was our only like spring break ski trip of our lives. (laughs) And so the kids were so excited and, and, you know, and I'm like, okay, boom, down the middle of the slope, zoom, 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 you know, not like I was, 
at all, but I just was going straight down and they're over in the woods and going through little jumps and falling over and laughing. And I was starting to get irritated that (laughs) they were taking so long to get down the slope. And then I, it was, I don't know if it was just kind of the, a whisper of the Holy spirit, or if one of them said something, but it was just like, I just had this realization. I want to enjoy side trips through the woods. Mm. And so we talked about it at the bottom of the chairlift. And then I started joining them and falling over and, you know, running into trees safely, you know, just doing goofy stuff through that. And it became a defining phrase for me of where the kids would even say, mom, do you want to do a side trip through the woods? And they would be inviting me to go do something fun with them. And I knew that was my cue. Okay, get out of task mode and go do something fun with your kids. So I think just the vulnerability to be talking about that and saying, I don't want to miss the joy of being more playful with you. So help me with that. What do I do that connects with you in a joyful, playful way. And what are your ideas about how I can do that more? Mm-hmm. So those are just my thoughts on that, that transition. We do have to be guarded that when our kids are less naturally silly, that we lose that, but you can certainly work around that. I love that. Joy, I think you're definitely a parent who loves the, the detours in the woods and mm-hmm. I can be too, but I'm not always. And so I, that was a great story, Lynn. I haven't heard that one before. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Such a fun conversation we're having. Joy, I have a question for you. I think that there's maybe somebody in our audience who's asking, okay, I know you guys at Connected Families are very biblical and Joy, you are too. You're a person of faith. You're talking about play. The Bible doesn't really talk about play. Is this Bible-based? Is the science-based? Can you give some foundation to that? Yes, I absolutely think that the Bible does talk about play and there are lots of places. One of my favorite is Ecclesiastes 11, eight says, uh-huh. however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. And oh, I love that verse. I don't know that- if I've read that before. Yes. It's so good. And it just reminds me as a parent, like, Yes, my kids can have fun and I can encourage that, but I'm supposed to be enjoying these years as well. And so no matter how many years I want to enjoy them. And then we have, you know, Jesus tells us to look at the kids and to let them be our model for how to seek after him. And they seek after him playfully and with curiosity and experience and exploring. And so that is all types of true play. And so I think biblically there, and then my last kind of favorite place to talk about play in the Bible is in second Samuel six, David is coming back with the ark and he's bringing it home and David dances I read this article once about the verb there to dance means, you know, how kids will like just spin around when they're dancing and they just spin and spin and spin. Mm -hmm. That was a form of worship for Hebrew kids. And that's what David was doing is from what I've read. And Mm -hmm. so that is like the ultimate 
playful experience, you know, for kids is just to spin and dance and just worship God with their whole bodies. And that's what David was doing. And David was a man after God's own heart. And so if he can spin and dance and celebrate, then I think the rest of us are invited into that, you know, abundant life as well. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And it just, you know, I was quick Googling that phrase and I just, you know, there's, there's translations of Zephaniah 317 that says he will dance over you, a dance joy over you with singing. And so it's like, just as David was doing toward the Lord, the Lord does back to us. And I I don't know if this was in a podcast previously or not, but it's really a fun story is when our kids were in middle school, one Saturday morning, Jim had been reading that that verse and he he decided to make it real so he went into the room and started jumping up and down and turning around and singing i love you i love you i love you <laughs> and just being so goofy of course the kids were rolling their eyes but they <laughs> loved it you know but it was just this expressive fun way to communicate the love of God to kids. That's not now the Bible says, you know, Mm -hmm. he was speaking Mm -hmm. the language of children when he did that. Wow. That just speaks to me. I have some tears in my eyes, just the carefreeness to just spin in worship to the Lord and just be free Mm -hmm. with our bodies and that he's doing that over us and just so delighting and so happy and, you know, just so loving for his feelings towards us. So thank you, Joy. And Lynn, that was a beautiful way to end our first half of this show. I'm going (laughs) to toss us to a break. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about play and the framework. We have to talk about the framework. We're connected families. We have lots in store. Are your kids fighting again? Are you finding that the harder you try to make it stop, the worse it seems to get and the kids seem more and more resentful? The Sibling Conflict Online Course is for you. Right one minute the kids love each other and the next minute they're arch enemies. The older they get, the louder and angrier it gets. You hate the way this affects everyone's mood, including your own. Or maybe your young kids are beginning their rivalry and you worry where it's heading if you don't learn some better strategies. If any of this sounds familiar, our Sibling Conflict online course is made for you. What if you could use the inevitable conflict between your kids to actually strengthen their relationship? It is possible. Connected Families has a self-paced five-session online course on sibling conflict that teaches the peace process. The peace process is a simple tool that's easy for the whole family to remember and apply to all relationships. Parents Jacob and Katie said this after taking the course. We didn't extinguish sibling conflict, but more importantly, we gave our kids and ourselves a tool for how to get to the heart of the conflict find a real solution and reconnect. We all have a simple framework for how to turn things around. Isn't that so good? You have to go and check out the Sibling Conflict online course. Links are in the show notes or go to connectedfamilies.org and click on resources. Find a path from bickering to bonding. Register today. 
Well, we're back after the break and I'm here with Joy Wenling and Lynn Jackson. We're talking about purposeful play and play in discipleship and really being more lighthearted with our kids. And, um, and so I want to throw out the question because every topic that we deal with goes through our connected families framework. So how does play fit into the framework? And either one of you can take that. For me, I think play is one of the best ways for me to like pause and think about what is going on with me. And so just like, even from the start, when I know I'm having like a rough morning, we have a code word for our Alexa and she (laughs) will play a song and it, it helps to diffuse, you know, where I'm at or where I'm feel like I'm going. And What's the it, song, Joy? The song is Travis <laughs> Tritt's It's a Great Day to Be Alive. I don't really know it, but I bet you I'd recognize it. Yeah. It's it's from like 2000 or something. It's an old song, but it has like a wolf howl in it. So my girls and I all get to, you know, make animals sounds <laughs> and just remember that it is a great day to be alive. And and like the Zephaniah 317 verse it gives me an opportunity to remember that I like my kids and to sing over them. And for yeah. me, that is like, it resets that foundation. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first place for me that, you know, play fits into the framework. I can find places to make it work on all the different levels. But for me, that's like really an important piece of it. And it really is so vital in communicating the message child, I like you, not just, I love you no matter what, which is a (laughs) powerful message, but that could be just, I am such a gracious parent that I am tolerating your difficult behavior, you know? (laughs) So it's so much about the child. You are delightful. I'm having fun, loving you. I'm enjoying being your parent. Those are really important messages. And they pair so well with the vital message of you are love no matter what. And in fact, you are delighted in. And if you think about our relationship with God, we need both of those messages. We need to know when we have blown it big time that we are loved no matter what. But the father of the prodigal son and the super cranky judgmental son, he was throwing a party. And so just the joy and the festivity in their relationship was, I mean, it's just, it's such a goosebumpy, powerful image of the joy that God has over us. And there's no better way to communicate that than playing with our child. Playing with our child. I know, Joy, you've talked about your upbringing and this just disconnect between like and love. Could you just talk about that a minute? Yes. So As a kid, I absolutely 100% knew that my family loved me, but I did not necessarily feel like I fit in. Like I didn't know that if I was not given to them by God as part of the family, that they would be my friends. And so that was like a really big disconnect. Like I didn't feel like they 
liked me and I can laugh about it now, but my dad used to call me alien child. And so it was just this, we love you and we will love you no matter what, but you don't really fit here, you know? And so when I became a parent, that was a really important thing for me to express to my kids. And it was one of the changing points in my faith too, is when I realized you know, in John 15, Jesus calls us his friend. And like, I knew God loved us, but for a while it was because he had to. And then Jesus says, I chose you. I call you friend. And so that was really powerful. And I understood the value of being chosen, being enjoyed, being liked and being, you know, that, that friendship. And I want to make sure my kids experience that from me, as well as know that is true of God with them as well. So your story is describing exactly what Lynn had just talked about. Like we can just like you and tolerate you, or we can like delight in our liking. Like I like to like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's several parents that I know of that their child just sort of bristled it a little bit. If, if that child was just told when they misbehave, remember, I love you right now. But when the parent is able to be even a little playful in those situations, and there's some situations not appropriate, it doesn't work or whatever, but a number of parents have found that if they can get into a playful zone with their child, it communicates that I really do love you no matter what. And it's not a teeth gritting statement. It's I'm feeling it in my heart. And this playfulness is going to help us calm down so that we can solve this problem. And it can also be a reminder to us as parents, when we're playful in those moments, that that particular moment is not the end all be all of the situation and being able to let go of some of the stress and intensity of that moment and be playful. We can say, oh yes, this is just one time we have a lifetime to continue to grow together. And I have an opportunity to build that long-term connection with my kid right now. That's what I was going to say too. It just strikes me that again, like, like you said, Joy, we're back down to the foundation. We're back to the question of what's going on in me. What tapes are going on in my head? Is it negative? Is it toxic? Are they toxic lies? that are causing me to be more shut down and definitely not lighthearted and replacing those so that I can believe truth, which then is, it just lends itself to being lighthearted and more playful with my kids because I'm not just catastrophizing really, or dwelling in the negative emotion. So it just always goes back to that question, Lynn, what's going on in me? We can (laughs) never get away from it. Right, right. <laughs> which is good. <laughs> it is good. It's, it's real good. It's a never, never ending work that we do. Okay. Well, we've covered the foundation and the message you're safe with me. We went up to connect. You are love no matter what joy. How does playful parenting, how does that come out in our third and our fourth levels coaching and then correcting? Well, I think that when we are able to be playful, that our kids are able to not kind of push away the learning. They can be more excited to learn when it is fun, when it is enjoyable to them, and when it is kind of focused in their language. And so, for example, I 
taught my girls the peace process through telling them a story about some giraffes who were having an argument and mama giraffe came in and she led them through the peace process. And this was a bedtime story and my girls loved it so much. I've told it repeatedly and it's, I'm making a book about it and they like have just loved it. And so when we have to go through the peace process, we talk about these giraffes and we'll take giraffe breaths. And we talk, what do giraffe breaths need to look like? Well, they have really long necks. So they're really long, deep breaths. And and then at the end they celebrate and these giraffes have a dance party. And so my girls, we could talk about what did the giraffes do next? Mm -hmm. And it's in such a playful way that they don't feel like I am pushing this, you know, set process on them. They know the, the process now because of these giraffes and they know what they did, the giraffes did. And when we can make it enjoyable, then the kids are engaged in that and it helps them to learn. That's a fantastic example. You're talking about the peace process that is in the sibling conflict course Yes, that we teach. Yeah. And so you took that and you made it into a story, a playful story. I like it. Really oh, good. I love it. <laughs> Not to mention that giraffes are my second favorite animal in the whole wide world. They're so cool. Yes. Oh my. Didn't know that about you, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Africa side of me. <laughs> yes. I love it. Such a good example because So often parents are just overwhelmed when they try different things and they don't understand why it doesn't help their child. And I think it's really easy when we use different strategies to kind of have a little anxiety in that, that communicates to our child, we have to get this right or else. And when you can introduce play into it, it disarms everybody. It just makes the whole thing seem inviting, like this cool thing I'm learning versus this this process that I have to get right, or we'll all feel ashamed. So Mm -hmm. love, love, love that example. Yeah. And so I can see how you're coaching. That's the third level of our framework. You're coaching them to reconciliation and a method for resolving sibling conflict. But what about in the midst of the misbehavior? Because, you know, we go through the framework, but we're all sinners and our kids still misbehave. And we do need to deal with that. Aren't we just letting kids off the hook when we just get playful with them and not, you know, discipline in the traditional sense? We can hold boundaries playfully. Mm-hmm. And so one of my f- girls' favorites, and it like disarms and they kind of look at me like, what is going on? Is I will, I can start to talk like a robot and, you know, problems, problems, malfunction, you know, <laughs> you know, we have these yeah. and the kids are like, uh-oh what's going on? And they look to me for guidance because everything has changed and the, the situation calms down and we could take a breath and then we can talk about it. And they, you know, sometimes we'll talk about it in robot voices, but it's diffused. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to talk about it more easily Mm -hmm. and they also feel safe. And so we can continue that conversation. And so that's, you know, like using fun voices, but that still hold the boundaries and hold them, you know, responsible. And we can, when we are 
outside of those moments of misbehavior, we can use play to teach those skills Mm -hmm. and the wisdom that they need. And by using like stuffed animals or dolls, the kids can work through whatever the situation is. So giving them, you know, two stuffed animals and saying, this one's the mommy and this one's the daughter. And this daughter was really sassy to mommy. Why do you think that baby bear was sassy to the mama bear and giving them an opportunity to play that out when it's taken off of them and not so personal can really help to invite a real meaningful conversation. Oh, I love that. And I think also if parents view play as a reward, they're misunderstanding its role in a child's life. If we go back to the thing of it's their language. It's not this carrot that you hold out to your child. If they're good, I'll play with you. It's their brain function. So it helps to get their brain into a place where they can solve the problem at hand. So whether you use the play to help them process the problem, or if you use the play to, to help them calm down, you're speaking their language. And if we just say to a child, okay, you need to calm down right now so we can solve this, that adds stress to them. And so play big physical movement or any of those things, it's part of the process of understanding who they are and setting them up for a just right challenge of, okay, now your brain is ready to solve this problem. We got a problem here, Houston. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's do something fun and then we'll come back and figure it out. So Lynn, let me ask you a question because I've heard you say that small kids, they only have a kind of a, a short window where they'll actually connect say correction to the misbehavior. And if you wait, it's done. Is that correct? Have I heard you say that? And, and so then how does that combine with this situation? Yeah, well, it depends on the child too. And what it is, particularly if like in the example of a teacher saying, well, you know, Johnny was disrespectful to his friend, Joshy at school. So I want you to give him a consequence when he gets home. That's a total misconnect. Mm-hmm. Because it's hours difference. It's a totally different environment. Okay. Depending on the child, sometimes they can kind of re- retain that, especially if you're acting it out again versus just having a conversation. Oh, okay. But the thing about play is it helps people calm down quickly so that you can process it more quickly. So you're not like, oh, we just, you know, watched a video or played Legos for two hours. And now we hardly remember what happened. Play can get people's brains calmed down quickly and just get everyone's heart in a place where now I can process this versus we just have to find our separate corners and come back an hour later. So So I'm thinking like a really practical example of this could be something happened on the playground. There's just, you know, it's kind of big emotion. It's okay to take your child, go to a quiet swing and just swing, sing a song for a minute, something lighthearted and then say, okay, can we talk now? Or, you know, now let's deal with the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's go calm down over on the swings. There's, they'll help us be ready to solve that problem with your little friend. And you do the other mom the same. Let's take a break, come back together Mm -hmm. once they've had you know, some, some calming sensory play. And then you would take them back to the area where the conflict happened and maybe narrate. This is what I noticed. I saw, you know, I saw one child do this. I saw the other child do that. There were some big feelings happening, you know, so you sort of recreate the scene in the narrative and in the location. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. 
Good. Well, we're coming to the end of our podcast today. This has been a great conversation and just so useful for lots of parents and and a lot of the the strict parents like me, the task oriented ones. I'm (laughs) sure that there's going to be a lot of downloads from parents like me. (laughs) We need your influence more in our lives, Joy. And so let me just end with where do I start if I want to be a more playful parent? Do you have any practical examples, even from the parents who come to you for coaching? Yes. So I would say three things that you can do is one, think about what you enjoyed doing as a kid. Like what were your favorite ways to play as a child and try to do those with your kids. The second is just fun music. Finding music that can just help you release, you know, the anxiety, the stress and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And the third would be ask your kids for help. Your kids need to have some experiences of control and authority throughout the day. And so when we can allow our kids to guide us in play, Mm -hmm. it can really help meet that need for them but can also teach us to play again because they are the play experts. And so we get to go and learn from them and it will feel awkward the first couple of times probably. But if you just continue to try it and listen to your kids and say yes, as much as possible in that, you know, say we're going to give it 10 minutes and we'll do whatever you want Mm -hmm. to play, you know, and if they keep changing directions, just say, yep. Yep. And keep shifting with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can almost kind of just sort of sit down and watch them and narrate what's going on. So you're not directing it, but you're just, Oh, you got out the, the Legos and Oh, you're building something really tall. I wonder what it's going to be. And you just enter into what they're doing and describe it as you go. And that can be really bonding as well which is, it's just a one more layer on what you're saying and your third point there, Joy. That's great. Yeah, that is good. And Lynn, I wonder if we could just end with encourage the the parent with a little bit older kids, you know, it's the kids, they could even be third, fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade, and it's harder to connect and play looks different. And so I just wonder if you could just encourage that parent before we finish. Yeah. Well, a lot of times parents will say, oh, we just don't connect at all, or I'm not playful or whatever. And when I hear a parent using an ex- sort of extreme language of I never, or I can't, or I'm terrible at, or whatever, then I'll whip out the old zero to 10 scale. So Mm -hmm. zero is you have not once laughed with your child, done anything fun, been silly with them ever. And 10 is, you know, it's not my basic personality, but you know, sometimes we really do have some fun. Where are you on that 10 scale? And then wherever that number is, the point isn't, why isn't it a 10? The point is what keeps it from being a zero? Mm -hmm. What are you already good at that you're not really noticing? And how might you just value that and celebrate it when you do that? And then over time, just say, well, how might I do that a little bit more? So, yeah. So that's what I'd say, because most of the time parents do have little playful streaks. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of finding those, enjoying them, valuing them, and then maybe expanding them. Paying attention to your life and seeing the good. That's really good. I like it. Joy, thanks for being our guest today. Joy Wendling, 
in our show notes are links to all of her stuff. You can get in contact with her there. Lynn, thank you for being here today too and giving us your wisdom. Fun. I feel like we should have had toys on our tables, on our desks or something (laughs) as we recorded. But anyway, thanks to the two of you for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. Links to everything that we talked about is in the show notes. While you're there, would you please rate and review so others can find us more easily? And if this podcast has been helpful, consider sharing it with a friend. Those steps are so helpful to spread God's grace and truth to more parents. And consider checking out our sibling conflict online course. The peace process is catchy and you can teach it to your kids. It will be an important tool for your whole family. Find the link on our show notes or also on our website. For more information about the Sibling Conflict course or Connected Families, go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.